0: Welcome to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. I'm Alec. This week on the podcast we have Ashley Allison. Ashley worked on the Obama campaign in the Obama White House, but before I tell you more about what she did, make sure you follow us on social media. We're at Fly on the Wall Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll even follow you back if you send us a follow. We'd love to hear from you at our email address, which is fly on the wall podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot us a message. We'd love to hear from our listeners. And finally, make sure you subscribe. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever else you get your podcasts, and of course whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so go ahead click subscribe you'll get a new great episode of fly on the wall in your inbox every single week now ashley allison worked on the obama campaign in 2012 as the african-american vote director in ohio and then went over to the white house in the second term as the deputy policy director in the office of public engagement focusing on police brutality and criminal justice reform we're super excited to have ashley on the podcast this week so let's welcome her Ashley, thanks so much for coming on Fly on the Wall. We're excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Um, so I want to jump right in and start. You worked on President Obama's re-elect uh, in 2012 in Ohio. My home state. In your home state, which is um, also a pretty critical swing state. Yes. Um, and you started there in August 2011, um, over a year before the election. So you really got to see the full life cycle of a, of a field operation. So tell us about that, how your strategy, responsibilities... Uh, and that sort of thing changed uh, from the time you started in 2011 to the time the election wrapped up in November of yeah. 2012. Yeah, so
1: when I started, I was a regional field director in Franklin County, which is Columbus, Ohio, where Ohio State is. And we were actually working on a ballot initiative um, called Senate Bill 4, SB 4, SB 5, I think maybe. And it was around collective bargaining for unions, and we had to collect millions of signatures throughout the state to make sure that unions protected their collective bar- bargaining rights and so that was like a really fun ramp up to build or volunteers mm-hmm. but just to think about it the organ- the region that I was responsible for in 2011 myself by the end of the campaign in 2012, there were eight people that had to cover that region as mm-hmm. regional field director. So the scale from where we started to where we ended was, you know, pretty big.
0: Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, in May of 2012, you took on the title of African American vote director. Um, at least that's what I gleaned from looking at your LinkedIn. Yeah, <laughs> um, you right. so, uh, so, you know, when we, we interviewed Paulette last week, and she was telling us when she worked field in Pennsylvania. Um, just the race dynamic um, was sometimes very difficult um, to deal with, and there uh, was just frankly a lot of racism out there, especially directed at the first uh, at the time it was candidate to be African American president when Paulette Workfield for for you, he was already the first African American president. Um, but tell us about what that dynamic uh, was like working on you know outreach to the African American community in a in a Rust Belt state.
1: Yeah. So, it's interesting that Ohio and Pennsylvania are very different states. So, Ohio is like a regional state. It has basically Appalachia and then Cuyahoga County, which is Cleveland. So, like a very urban area. Then Columbus, which has the, one of the largest universities in the country. Um, so, a, each p- pocket of the state was like its own little state. Um, and so, depending on where you were in Cleveland, it was a very Obama friendly space. Large African American population needing to turn out a lot of voters there because um, of just the state demographics, and but then in Chillicothe where. I went maybe once or twice the whole cycle because the population of African-Americans was much smaller Um, and more conservative voters were definitely there. Um, But one thing that we did that I thought was really successful and intentional is a lot of times when people do political organizing or constituency-based organizing, like I had the job for African-American outreach, they go in and they just pay a whole bunch of money for paid canvassers to go and just knock a bunch of doors, but never really build relationship with the community. And so I wanted to take a different approach and really train our organizers on how to go into barbershops, how to go into beauty salons, how to go into churches, how to go to carnivals and festivals that were happening around the area, how to go to schools and register voters, and really have a conversation about what President Obama was doing. Not just so he would win the election, but the hope would be that even after he won the election, that that same type of community building would still exist.
0: Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people tell us that the best part of working on a campaign, or best or worst, depending on the outcome, is election night. Yeah. So walk us through that. How, How did that feel?
1: So when you're on a campaign, depending on your role... Um, And for my role, you are sometimes in this thing called a boiler room. And so it's like you can't really communicate with the outside world because you're only solely focused on how many voters have gone out to the polls, tracking numbers, trying to get a sense if you're ahead or behind. So I was in the boiler room from 6 a.m. in the morning until almost 11 p.m. at night. Mm. Um, With the same people, you know, you get lunch brought to you. And so it's really isolated. But I remember where i was and who i hugged the first time my old roommate ethan fry who i'm still friends with um and how i sobbed like a baby (laughs) (laughs) of the night when ohio was called and once ohio got called they called the election and just feeling like a little bird flying um and feeling so free and so validated Um, and then dancing and partying the whole night until I think like 6 a.m. just (laughs) dancing. And we we, my one friend, um, Arusha, who I think was the GOTV director for Ohio, we do this thing called Souls to the Polls, which is where we really engage um, churches to go vote after church on Sunday because of early voting. Mm. And all night we just dance, Souls to the Polls, Souls (laughs) to the Polls, because in Ohio they tried to get rid of Souls to the Polls and we did a lot of advocating to make sure that, that the Sunday before Election Day, people could actually go. And there were church vans and long lines, and people yeah. were just having a great old time.
0: Now, when you say they tried to get rid of souls to the polls, was that coming from, you know, like national uh, Obama campaign? Or was that...
1: Oh, no. The Obama campaign wanted souls to They wanted, the okay. Because the demographic that was traditionally turning out, which were black churches, were voting Democratic. Mm-hmm. Um, this was more of a Republican Secretary of State oh, okay. in Ohio trying to um, suppress the vote.
0: Gotcha. Um, and so then you you know you mentioned being in the boiler room all day. Um, you got there at six a.m. Was it pretty clear by like noon that you had the numbers you needed, or or, no, or you know no. you, you guys were fingers and, crossed and all day?
1: Fingers crossed all day, like get it done. So the night, i oh, let me actually rewind the night before the election. This is this is the first time I ever officially met the president. Night before the election, Jay-Z, Springsteen, and Obama have a concert in Columbus, Ohio, right? Not a bad thing. Not bad. I didn't go because I was, like, getting my volunteers on doors. But um, he wants to make a stop at a local campaign office. The night before election, you got a lot of stuff to do. You have to hang door knockers. You have to say, like, let me make sure people know where to go vote. And there's, you know, you're working until the late hours and then you have an early morning. So... He comes to the office and there's like 20 people in there bustling away and I'm in the back room and everyone's like, oh, you know, it's the president of the United States, it's Obama. And I just am like, I I don't have time for this. Like, (laughs) I I think I was a little delusional and like disconnected with reality in that moment. I was probably just so tired, but I was like, I don't have time for him to be at this office right now. I need him to go so we can win this election for him. (laughs) And I peek my eye, I peek open and I look to see if he's still there. And he's like, there's somebody back there. And he's like, come on out. And I close the door real quick. And I'm like, oh, crap. What do I do? And he's like, come out. And I don't go out. Like, I'm literally, I, this wow. happens because I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know what? If she's not going to come out, I'm going to come on in. And he goes and he knocks on the door and he's like, what are you doing? here and i'm like trying to win the election <laughs> and he's like come here take a picture with me and i was like oh my goodness i can't believe this and we laughed and talked about it you know and then he went on his way and then we went back to work and we won the election yeah. well
0: um that's great so the campaign obviously wrapped up uh, on a happy note for you one ohio won the country um, and then fast forward a little bit, in 2014, you went to the White House yeah. um, as the Deputy Director and Senior Policy Advisor in the White House Office of Public Engagement yes. um, under Valerie Jarrett. Yes. Um, and your portfolio included uh, managing a team that worked with LGBTQ, Muslim faith, African American disability, and entertainment communities, especially on criminal justice and policing reform. Yeah. So I got that all right. All right. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you took that job in July of uh, 2014. Uh, And that August, Michael Brown um, was shot and killed, so just about a month after you Mm -hmm. um, took the job. So that has to be pretty jarring. Tell us about the reaction to that inside the White House and how how it affected the work you were doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, my whole political career or White House career was rooted around trying to reform policing and working on criminal justice reform because of the death, the unfortunate and unnecessary death of Michael Brown. Um, And so, you know, that building, the White House, is a really hard place to figure out how to move and get things done. And so I was a month in, and I was just like, where's the bathroom still? You know, (laughs) like, my email just started working. Um, But a crisis was happening in our country, and not only was the death of Michael Brown happening, but we saw people expressing their First Amendment rights and being over-policed with, like, militarized tanks in the streets and and tear gas. And so it was, you know, as a Black person working in the white house with the first black president there was like a lot of soul searching about like what should we do and the thing that felt right to me was to talk to the people that were in ferguson who were being most affected and so some of them had requested meetings and so i met with people um from the streets and then unfortunately because multiple police um killings had happened continued to meet with them but we worked to try and shine a light on the injustice, and we launched the 21st Century Policing Task Force, um, which definitely did not end um, the deaths of black and brown bodies by police officers, but at least um, brought to light what was happening in communities and the need for true reform.
0: Um, And then the second year that you were in the White House, uh, the 2016 presidential campaign was really taking off. This was around the same time um, that Donald Trump uh, unveiled some of his... um, policy proposals that frankly were just directly opposed to the stuff you were fighting for, uh, the wall, the Muslim ban. Um, I think he had one quote in his speech that he was telling police officers just like be a little rougher with them or something, something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. But, um, point is, you know, as he was saying this stuff and unveiling these loosely construed policy proposals, um, how did it feel? And how did he work to brace for impact once he won?
1: oh man <laughs> um well let's talk about before he won it was head down and get as much done as possible because um, we didn't know what the outcome was going to be but regardless of who won that election i would not be still doing this work and i wanted to get as much accomplished on these issues as possible i mean you have to overlay though what was happening at the same time in our country around philando castile alton sterling The shootings of the police officers it was a real the pulse nightclub shooting there was a lot of terrible things happening um and so finding the the space emotionally to grieve which there wasn't a whole lot of because we needed to get work done but also head down get it done after the election i well after the the day after the election I remember I had taken some personal leave to go volunteer for Hillary and I remember coming back into the White House um, and feeling ashamed and feeling like I had let people down and feeling embarrassed Um, and I'm not really sure why and I remember running into Valerie in the hall and literally collapsing into her like chest like she was my mom and sobbing and her telling me to keep my head up and that it would be okay and that we will get through this together. And then I remember, you know, going and hearing the president speak in the Rose Garden that day and him telling us that we will be professional. And I was like, no, we won't. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is absurd. No. But his leadership, and I still don't know, like, how he found the the fortitude to say those things, particularly considering, like, the birther campaign that Mm -hmm. Trump had run against him. But... It, it was devastating, I think I, I had to make a decision though a couple of days after the election to like stop focusing on it and still use, you know, the two months I have left to get still just as much done as possible. And then when I left, you know, it was, it was a rough time, like depression, grieving, sadness and like a searching for what do I do with this, like you know, Camelot was over. So right. it was really, really hard. I luckily landed at a great organization that still gets to fight for a lot of these things that I had actually worked very closely with the Leadership Conference on Human and Civil Rights, um, and still fighting the good fight, um, just from a different orientation—not from the White House, but from
0: an advocacy organization. And then on a, I guess, a happier note, um, <laughs> since that—that that was a you know bit of a that down. question was Sorry. a bit of a downer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I asked the question, so. Uh, Well, when we talked to Paulette uh, on Fly on the Wall, she told us that her single favorite day working for President Obama uh, was the day that the Supreme Court ruled in favor of marriage equality while President Obama was in Charleston um, singing Amazing Grace. Uh, And, you know, you did a lot of work in the White House uh, related to African-American and LGBTQ constituencies, so, I mean, that day must have been particularly meaningful for you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, I was actually in Charleston at the funeral that day. Um... And I remember, I mean, it was a very special day. And I remember when he started to sing, um, taking a breath and just the tragedy was real. But I think what happened in that moment, there was a celebration of culture, and particularly African-American culture, that felt unapologetic. And it was something that I needed, and I think the country needed. and simultaneously, all my colleagues are, you know, because we had been grieving the loss of Charleston, but uh, of the deaths in Charleston at the, for the Emanuel Nine. I got to meet most of the families of the slain and having conversations with them and letting them know that we support them and that we were there was really, really important. But, you know, despite I was tired, we got back on a flight um, and landed, and I remember meeting a friend. And, I, you know, I didn't have to go back to the office because by the time I got back, it was like nine o'clock. But I went and talked to a friend, and I decided to walk to the White House and take a f- picture in front of the the rainbow yeah. lit up. Because yeah. it's like, even in tragedy, we must celebrate hope. And um, it is the story of how advocacy works. Terrible things happen, but hopefully through that pain and suffering, joy can come. Um, and so it was a very complex day, just like our country is a very complex um, history and reality. But... It was a very special day. I don't know if it was my most special day, but it definitely was one that will go down in the record books for me.
0: And then, uh, you know, to really lighten things up here, we like to finish on flying the wall with a lightning round. So we're just going to ask you a couple questions, um, and first thing that comes to mind, if you could go back and change, uh, go back and start your career over in Obama world, what's one thing you would change? I would work out more. <laughs> work out more. There you go. Some, some self-care. Yeah. <laughs> working in the White House. Um. And then, uh, second one, you know, you get opportunity to work for a candidate of your choice on a campaign or a president of your choice in the White House. Which do you do? Which do you do? Either or? Either or.
1: Oh, man. I, oh. I'm probably a candidate. Okay. Yeah, on a campaign. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, yeah, like, that's where the organizing and all that happens. That was... The White House was great, but the campaign was awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. Uh, we're so excited you come on Fly on the Wall. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks. That does it for this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. That was Ashley Allison on the podcast. We'll be back with another great episode next week. So to make sure that you hear about it, be sure that you're following us on social media. We're at Fly on the Wall pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Fly on the Wall podcast at gmail.com. If you want to reach out, we'd love to get a message from you. And finally, subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening on right now, and you'll be notified when we put out a new episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.